have a really good number of folks present this morning, and uh, let me quickly announce what we're going to be talking about. This is a question and answer uh, lesson this morning. If you've not been here before, um, I take questions from you and uh, whatever you want to ask about the topic. And the topic this morning is prejudice, racism, etc. So if you want to ask a question about that, raise your hand. They'll get you a card, write it out, and then you'll turn it in to me. And I'll take them as they come in and answer as many as I possibly can. We welcome everybody that's here this morning. As I started to say, we have a really good number of, of people present. We're glad you're here, and uh, while this is a little bit different format this morning, we hope you'll want to come back and be with us again in the future, but I hope we make you feel welcome and you'll want to do just that. This morning's topic, as I said, having to do with prejudice, racism, bigotry, in the news, obviously, news-driven topic, a lot of talk about this over maybe the past six months or a little bit more, and... um, and so I thought that it might be a good idea to do a session on just this. Um, guys, when you get questions, go ahead and turn them in to me, and I'll start taking them here in just a moment. So if you got one written out already, raise your hand. They'll collect it. I wanted to run through a couple of definitions, um, the difference between these terms and the difference between these ideas. It has been said that everybody is prejudiced. You may or may not agree with that statement, and uh, I'm not going to take a position really on that. But prejudice is when someone has a preconceived opinion, an evaluation, or especially in its strongest sense, a preconceived judgment. And that usually is adverse, that is negative, about something or someone or especially some group of people. And so when we talk about prejudice, and generally speaking, the most general idea of prejudice in the minds of people is when one person feels toward a whole group of people uh, and they have some preconceived judgment or evaluation of that group of people. It can be based on race. It can be based on some characteristic like the color of a person's skin or whatever that might be. But it is a preconceived judgment that someone is of less value Uh, because of that preconceived opinion or judgment about them. All black people are so-and-so. All white people are such-and-such. That kind of idea. And I think we all understand that. Prejudice can extend far beyond racial prejudice, but generally speaking, when someone mentions prejudice, that's what they're referring to. Racism is prejudice that has to do with, obviously, being discriminatory against a race. It's based on race. It's based on ethnicity. It's based on a belief that race is the primary determinant or the value, um, the either excellence or lack thereof, of someone. So when I'm racially prejudiced, I look at an individual and I feel such and such about them strictly because of their ethnic background. 
Sometimes the word bigotry or being a bigot. I can remember Fred Sanford running around calling people bigots. But bigotry enters into this. Bigotry is technically, and I'll read the definition, an obstinate or intolerant devotion to one's own opinion. So in other words, if you're prejudiced, then when you talk about being a bigot, you talk about someone who is prejudiced, perhaps racial prejudice. Uh, They have racial prejudice. But they're very intolerant because of that. They do not tolerate, they do not value, they do not sometimes even entertain the views, etc., of the people they are prejudiced toward. And we might even talk about bias, which is a much less term, and I won't probably mention that a lot this morning. But the idea of bias is just having an inclination towards something. You are either biased in favor of something or biased negative, negatively towards something, but not necessarily a bigot, that is, you're intolerant, and not necessarily that you're a racist or you're prejudiced. Now, having considered all those terms, then we began to talk about maybe a lot of news-driven events, a lot of ideas that have been thrown around, a lot of things that have driven people to perhaps feel the way they feel, vote the way they vote, talk the way they talk, treat others the way they treat others. And many questions arise out of that, and as far as being a Christian, where is my position in all of that? And if everyone is naturally prejudiced, and I want you to consider that idea for a moment, if everyone is naturally prejudiced or we can't help or escape the environment or the way we've been brought up and been indoctrinated to think or feel, then where does that leave a Christian and what does that say about us? Finally, you might want to know and you might ask about God's position toward racism or prejudice. Does the Bible speak of it? Has the Bible supported it, as some have thought at different times? Or what does the Bible indeed say about it? If you're looking at the passage that Marvin read for us just a moment ago, you can see that it's not necessarily race or ethnic background that's driving that prejudice there, but it's the social status or perhaps the economic status of that individual. Okay, do we have any questions? Anybody want to turn in a written question? Got one over here, several around. So as they're coming in, can keep all of those things in mind. Is it right to be prejudiced? Is it okay? Is it wrong? What does God say about it? Etc. And you may ask your questions accordingly. All right, let me take these as they come in. And I'm going to try to use this thing. So, well, let's try it like that. Can you guys see that? Or do I need to move that? Or? That's good? Okay. All right, so this question says... What were some of the most notable examples of prejudice or racism in the Bible? And how did God's people respond? How would God want us to respond? That's a good question. Maybe some of the most notable prejudices that come to mind immediately would be... Okay, moving in. All right, some of the notable things that come to mind immediately might be the way God's people, quote-unquote, felt toward others. I immediately think, turn to John 4. I think of John 4. Now this, I think, is, an, is a passage that's exemplary of the way many Jews felt in Jesus' day. They had uh, 
repeated a lot of commandments that would tell them in the Old Testament not to intermingle, not to intermarry, to keep the, you know, the Jewish people were to keep separate in that sense, all of that. But they had taken that to another level. So if you're looking at John 4, this is the occasion where Jesus came upon a well in Samaria. You should understand, first of all, that even though John 4 says uh, he must needs go through Samaria, verse 4, most Jews went around. They would not directly walk from Galilee down into Judah. They would bypass Samaria altogether, go around it, because they would not want to be part, uh, they would not want to be associated with Samaritans. So when Jesus asked the Samaritan woman for a drink of water, she said, and if you'll look down with me about verse 9, the woman said, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask his drink of me, who am a, a woman of Samaria? And then if you'll notice, John adds a parenthetical note for the Jews, or she may have said this, actually, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Thinking of another passage. What she's saying to Jesus is, how do you ask me for a drink? Jews don't talk to Samaritans. They don't speak to Samaritans. They have nothing to do with Samaritans. You might think of Acts 10, when Peter, in somewhat of a similar way, uh, felt about how he would have felt about going into the house of a Gentile. Now, in one sense, a person might say, does God support that? I don't think so. If, if so, if that idea was supported, we wouldn't have the Son of God going and, in, and interacting with the Samaritan woman. We wouldn't have God and that great miracle that's done, that vision that's done to show Peter that, no, I want you to go to Gentiles. So the question really is notable examples. I think of that. There are a lot of examples we could go to on both sides. That is, God's people are people toward God's people. But how does God? How would God want us to respond? I'd say follow the lead of Jesus. Follow what God says. God would have us to reach out to all people regardless. God would not have us to see their ethnic background. Like the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Well, Jesus did, though. So that would be the point. All right. Maybe we've got the technical bugs worked out. Let's put up the next question. I'll read it and put it up there. Is it wrong to have black or white or Hispanic churches? I love this question. I come from a place in Alabama where, by and large, eh, I'll get it. Uh, by and large, yeah, by and large, you have just this, black churches, white churches. In fact, if we were to say, you know, down where I come from, if we were to talk about... Uh, Oh, in years past, Gunnersville Church of Christ. Now, I preached, I don't know how many gospel meetings in Gunnersville Church of Christ, and I was the only white guy there. So, if we were to talk about certain churches, we would talk about black churches or white churches. You walk in to this congregation, obviously one of the things you're going to be struck with from the very beginning is you wouldn't know how to classify this. It's not a white church. There are white people here. It's not a black church. There are black people here. It's not a Hispanic church. There are Hispanic people here. It's not an island church. There are island people here. And occasionally we've had Oriental people and I suppose just about every ethnic background. That's great. Nowhere in the Bible would you find something telling you to segregate into races or whatever it might be as God's people. In fact, Jesus' commandment would be to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. They did that and... You know, a good example of what a church should be, I would think, are, you know, the church at Corinth. We know there were Jews. We know there were Gentiles. We know there were Roman citizens. 
We know there were people of all ethnic backgrounds. It was a metropolitan city, and I would take it that that's exactly what God would want us to have. Thank you very much. Yes? No? Well, I'm going to have to keep doing that. All right. Um, let's take this question. We see prejudice. You going to help me? <laughs> we see prejudice in the Bible against the collectors. Yeah, like tax collectors, etc. A subject which weighs heavy on my mind tomorrow and the next day. But we see prejudice in the Bible against tax collectors, the worst of sinners. Uh, the woman in Luke 7, for example, who cried at Jesus' feet, she's called a sinner by Simon. Those who were demon-possessed are obviously shunned, etc. Sometimes we feel we're right in our prejudice because these people were doing wrong. How do we separate righteous judgment from prejudice? That's a great question, actually. Maybe. Put it all on there. I hope you can see that. That's a great question. How do we separate judgment from prejudice. Should I associate with an individual? Should I take part in interacting with a person? What about, for example, 1 Corinthians 15, where evil companions corrupt good morals? This is what I would say about that. If we look at Matthew, a tax collector, if we look at Zacchaeus, a tax collector, in fact, maybe an, an official, an officer among tax collectors, if we look at the woman who was a sinner, perhaps a prostitute, they would be in that category in Luke 7. We're looking at all of these individuals, and we might look at a host of other people, people we know, people that do certain things, etc. We might ask the question, how much should I have to do with that person? Well, where is their heart? The difference in those people, a Matthew, a Zacchaeus, the woman in Luke 7, perhaps Mary Magdalene comes to mind. The, the difference with these people is they have done these things. They're guilty of sins, gross sins in many cases. But their heart is not in the sin. Their heart is toward repentance. When I see an individual or when I know an individual or I meet someone who is inclined toward repenting and changing their life and living their life to do what's right, I really don't care a whole lot about what's in the past. Uh, I don't want to be judged for that. Thank God I was not judged for those things, but rather what was in my heart and what I was trying to do at the time. And I think that's the way we should be as Christians. It is fine to pass judgment, righteous judgment, not just according to appearance, however, but to judge righteous judgment and say of a, an individual, for example, that's a sinner who is bent on sinning and would like to drag me down into the cesspool, that I really don't need to have a lot to do with that person. But by the same token, when there's a heart inclined toward repentance, I need to try to do everything I can to lift them up. And that would be exactly what we see Jesus doing in, the, in those uh, several cases. All right, in James chapter 2, the passage that was read. I'm going to have to go quickly because we're getting a lot in. All right, in James chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, Christians are commanded not to have our faith with respect of persons. That's right. If a Christian has grown up with a prejudice, or prejudices of different kinds, what are some scriptures that would best help to deal with overcoming this? That's a beautiful question. One of the things that helps me, yeah, I think you can see that. One of the things that helps me, or helped me the most, I grew up in a time where my earliest images on television, I loved to watch the news as a little kid. I was a little weird kid. But I love to watch the news, and yet some adult was always running in and turning the TV off or sho shoveling me off to the bedroom so they could watch it. 
because they didn't want to see the fire hoses and the dogs and the reports about the bombings. And all of that was going on literally, you know, in the area I came from, because I came from North Alabama. Growing up, I see all of that. So when you're talking about growing up with prejudices and people talking about being prejudiced and, and you got different ideas, you know, you might have my father, for example, stressing to me that people are people no matter who they are or where they come from. You might have someone else, you might go to the store and to buy a Coke or whatever and have someone else or a group of men talking about those, you know, whatever, and uh, they deserve what they got and all of that kind of thing. Passages that I would tell you to go to and focus on, first of all, go to Genesis. Look at Genesis chapters 1 through 3. What we see there are God creates Adam and Eve, and I don't see anybody else there. What color was Adam? What color was Eve? Where did they, you know, what nation were they part of? What ethnic background were they part of? You and I have the same DNA, provable, mitochondrial DNA in us that Eve had to detect. The Bible stresses we all come from one man, Adam. You and I share the DNA with everybody in this room and everybody the world over. We are the same. Acts 17, I would tell you to go to that passage. Of one, the Lord has made all nations, the whole race of man, all of man, of one. King James says of one blood, but just literally of one. I would go to Genesis 10. I would see Noah and his three sons and their wives landing on Mount Ararat. And I would see the fact that all of us, all the nations of the earth, all peoples and tongues and languages and so forth and so on, trace back to one man, and that's Noah. We're the same. And if those things, if you meditate on those, and that's where I was years ago, if I meditate on those things, then what difference does it make if you have a greater concentration of melanin in your skin and you're black, and I have maybe a little less, and I look at the freckles, it's the same chemical makeup. What difference is it? If your hair is a certain color, your skin is a certain color, your national background is a certain national background, it makes no difference. We're the same. All right? Um, Esau I hated. Jacob have I loved. It's a quote from Malachi 1. It is found in Romans 9 and verse 13. Did God have prejudice and why? Let me answer this quickly. There's a lot that I could say about that. I have to learn to shut that open a little bit. But a lot I could say, but let me answer it quickly. If we go to Malachi and we were to look at Romans 9, what we find there is God is dealing with nations. Esau, the Edomites, etc., as a nation were being condemned by God. Now, they're going by the name of their progenitor, Esau, just as the Jews who were mistreated by the Edomites is going by Jacob, and that's the prophetical name for Jews, you know, as, as just calling them by their progenitor. But God is dealing with a nation, and he is dealing with a nation who's perpetrated a crime upon his people. And so it is not that there's an individual hated by God and another individual love in some Calvinistic idea from birth or even before birth. This is a simple question. Why didn't they like Jesus? And I love this question. Why didn't they like Jesus? Many were prejudiced. Many were prejudiced toward him basically because of who he really was. We were studying this at Wendy's the other night. If you, if you were a person who was in power and you understood that Jesus was taking your power and taking your 
whole value of life, and that is the people that you controlled, you might hate it. And so they did. Even Pilate understood they delivered Jesus for crucifixion because of envy. Uh, We might see that in, in Matthew and Mark as well. Within the Christian community, why are there so many Christians who know the Word of God and still hate certain groups of people? Are they really Christian? How, as Christians, can we improve on not being prejudiced? Boy, is that a question. Why are there, why within the Christian community are there prejudices? I don't know, honestly. Again, if you go back to those biblical passages that I talked about, and you see that we're all the same, why would you be prejudiced? If you go to passages where you see Jesus, even though Samaritans, Jews alike would have looked at Jesus and that woman at the well, they would have said, man, what are you doing? Jesus would have said, I'm acting the way I'm supposed to act. Why would you be prejudiced? If we go to the passages that command us to go to everybody in the world, all nations, all people, everybody under heaven and preach the gospel, why would you be prejudiced? If we go to passages like Galatians 3 and verse 28 or Colossians 3 and it should be what, about verse 15? No, that doesn't sound right. But somewhere around verse 10, 12, right in there. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's not Scythian. There's not barbarian. There's only one individual out there, and that one all the same in Jesus Christ. All are one. Romans 10, and it should be about verse 12, where it teaches us that everybody that calls upon God, of course obeys the gospel, is the same. There's no difference between Jew and Greek, as long as a person simply turns to God. The answer to the question is, I don't know. Maybe because we want to hold on to our background. We want to hold on to our traditions. We want to hold on to where we came from. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of who I am, and I'm proud of where I came from. And maybe I'm even proud of the prejudices that I hold. I think of certain songs that I grew up with. I'll be a rebel till I die. I mean, that kind of thing. You know, we want to hold on to those things rather than be transformed conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's why. I don't know the answer to that question. As an African American, our community has been riddled with police brutality, watching our children murdered, other blatant racist acts. How do I as a Christian handle these emotions? Is there scripture that I can refer to when feeling this despair? A number of things that, that I would say about this. One is this. God hates abuse of power. God does not put people in power, give people authority, whether that would be governments or their instruments of enforcing the government, such as police. God does not put them in power to abuse people. A lot of cops drive around here with a sticker on their car that says to protect and serve. That's your job. Protect, serve, not to perpetrate crimes on people because you have the ability to do that. And the same would be true for anybody else in any position. So if we are looking at all of that, we're looking at abuse, and we say, how as a Christian should I feel about it? You ought to hate it. That's what you should do. You should hate the fact that it's happening. You should be disgusted with it. You should look at any prejudice of any kind as absolutely against what God teaches. But here's the point. What do you do about it? You do the things that God has told you to do. You pray about it. God teaches us in 1 Timothy 2 to pray that we may live a a peaceable life, an honorable life. Do I just keep rubbing this thing like a little baby and get it? 
come back on, or what do I do? Um, somebody might have to help me do this, because I can't keep it on. It's, it's delayed, okay. I, I should, as a Christian, I should stand for what is right. I should be the kind of person that leads by example. I should be the person that is showing the world how a Christian deals with these things when they are wrong. If I look at Jesus, Jesus didn't make a scene when he saw an abuse. Jesus didn't jump up and, you know, start fighting and leading a revolution. Jesus didn't return in kind by hating or whatever. Jesus taught, for example, we all know the story of the Good Samaritan. You want to help fight prejudice? Then find somebody that's been abused like the Samaritan in Luke 10. Walk over and quietly help him and give an example to the world to follow. When you start doing things like that and enough people start doing things like that, then people look at you the same way they look at the Good Samaritan. It's honorable. It's appreciable. We can look at something like that and we can follow it. So what do we do about it? I think that's what we do about it as a Christian. The Apostle Paul says, I'm going to give us a little rub for good, good luck here. The Apostle Paul says, to the Jew I became a Jew. This is a great question. Turn to 1 Corinthians 9 and you'll see this. To the Jew I became a Jew. To the Gentile I became a Gentile and so forth. How can we at East Orange use this example to grow close as a church and a family of Christ, since we are a diverse church, as we've talked about already. Um, so we avoid, of course, being prejudiced. That's a great question. Learn how to walk in the other guy's shoes. Learn how to, to the best of your ability, to think as he thinks. Ask yourself the question, where does this person come from? What have they gone through? How have they been raised? Don't just look, for example, at... Let me tell you a quick story. When I was in high school and going through trying to do some changing, now, you know, I've told you about my background, so I won't go into all of that. But I think of a guy that became a really good friend of mine, still is a good friend of mine 50 years later, but I, or 40 years later. But I, I think of this guy, and I think when he brought me home. Now, you've got to understand, when I went home with this guy first day, we walk into his house, we're going into the kitchen to get a snack. I've got long hair, I mean long. And I've got a T-shirt on with a cartoon figure on the front of it that says, The end is coming. And on the back, it said, Here it is, and pointed downward on my back. <laughs> True story. His mother looked at me like she could have died. Here, Her son said, This is Michael from my such-and-such such science class, and we're going to hang out for a little while. His mother was like, whoa, you know. I am thankful that they and the Smelsers and other people like that didn't just simply judge me according to appearance. They gave me a chance. And we became best of friends, and like I said, we're still friends to this day. That's the way you and I need to be when we're... Walking in other people's shoes. We need to ask questions. We need to look a little deeper. And that's what Paul was doing here. He was trying to identify. He wasn't simply just saying, you're different from me, and I'm going to shove my difference in your face. He was trying to find some common ground. Trying to find a way to reach out to that person and bring them in. And I'm very thankful that there were people that were willing to do that for me. Racism is wrong. How do you not become as bad as the races? I agree with you, racism is wrong, no question. As bad as the races, when human nature 
tempts you to just want to go off. Well, you meditate. You pray. You talk to yourself. You tell yourself that it's wrong. Racism is wrong. You know it is. Sure, my human nature is I'm the most comfortable with people that are just like me. But you know the truth is nobody's just like me. Nobody thinks exactly like I do, feels exactly like I do. We just have more things in common, perhaps, than someone else has in common. The truth is, I know it's wrong. And as long as I continue to, to know that it's wrong, remind myself that it's wrong, and positively, to think on the good things, to think about you know, the fact that, yeah, once you get to know this person, they're just a person. They may have different kind of hair than you have or a color of skin that you have or they come from a different country than you come from, but they're just people. People are people. I think the more we do that, the easier, at least, it becomes. Any final questions? And I might take one or two. I know I'm stretching it here, but uh, allow me to do that. I think there's one up here. Is the Bible... Oh, I love this question. Is the Bible prejudice against women? Yes. No, I, I'm kidding. No, I'm that was bad. That was bad. No. All right. Is the Bible prejudice against women? No, is the answer. And I'm going to tell you why in just a second. Given the roles of women in the church, keeping silent from 1 Corinthians 14 that I recently preached about, etc. The answer is no. The Bible is not prejudice against women. In fact, Galatians 3.28 that I, I cited earlier. There is neither male nor female. All are one in Christ Jesus. The Bible is not prejudiced against women. So, why does the Bible say to a woman, for example, to keep quiet in the assembly and uh, not to a man? Because that's not her role. The Bible gives different roles, different functions. I very much believe in people having different roles, different functions, etc. Friday night in our class, we talked about elders. If we had elders here, I would be a preacher, and those guys would be elders. We don't have the same role. We don't have the same function. I would be told by God to submit to those elders. It has nothing to do with me being less of a person, less of a man, less of an individual than those men are. They're just in a different position. They're in a different role, a different function. Same is true of males and females. And I will tell you this, 1 Corinthians 11, the same is true of God the Father and God the Son. Jesus is not less of an individual, nor is God prejudiced against Jesus, and yet Jesus absolutely submits to the Father. The Father is the head of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, it ought to be about verse 2 there. Um, No, the Bible is not prejudiced against women. We just have different functions. Um, Let's see. Asking me to talk a little bit about Acts 17.26. Turn over there very quickly, and I quoted from Acts 17, where God says, Of one or of one blood are we all made? Let's look at verse 26. Nope, that's 19. I knew that didn't sound right. 26. He has made of one blood, the King James says, literally in the original, He has made of one all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And that's the point. Galatians, or Galatians, Genesis Chapter 1, 2, and 3 show us we all come from Adam. Genesis 6 through 10 show us that we all come from Noah. So the point is, of one blood, of one man, literally, Adam, of one group, small group of people, husband and wife in the case of Adam and Eve, or one family, that of Noah, God has made everybody on the face of the earth. 
And so, the idea of our being, I'm sorry, I should have put this up here. The idea of our being prejudiced because we're of a different nation would not fit that criteria. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Amen. And the race, the race that is set before us is to be a Christian regardless of whom we're interacting with, regardless of where we come from. Final question. Yeah, final question. Is it considered a sin to fight against prejudice? Man, this is a great question to end on. To fight against prejudice, racism, and so forth, such as having protest, is it then considered sin if it results in a riot? That is a great question. Let's try to answer that. Is it considered a sin to fight against prejudice? No. You should fight against prejudice. But you should remember that Ephesians 6 and verse 12 teaches us that we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against the power, Satan, etc., that caused all this mess in the first place. It teaches us that the way we fight is as a Christian would fight. I would say that one of the greatest battles you could do against prejudice would be to go out and do something like the Good Samaritan did. Man, if that doesn't strike a blow against prejudice, if that doesn't make the Levite and the priest and the prejudiced individual that walked by on the other side of the road feel just that much smaller, then nothing will. Is it wrong to protest? No. It's not wrong to go out and state what you believe and stand up for it. In fact, you have a constitutional right, and I think you have a Christian right, to stand for what you believe. If it results in a riot, then you don't need to be part of it. Because when it starts getting ugly and when people start stop standing for what they're saying they believe, we're all equal, etc., and start spraying pepper in somebody's face or beating somebody over the head because they're different, then it's lost the purpose that it claimed to have in the first place. And I don't need to be part of it. So is it wrong to stand against it? No. Is it wrong to fight for what's right? Absolutely not. Just make sure that as a Christian that you fight like the Lord would fight if he were here in that crowd. Love your questions. They're great questions. And I didn't expect anything less from this group. I appreciate the involvement of everyone this morning. The questions that you ask. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a child of God. But maybe you've listened to this lesson and you thought, you know, if the Bible really does stand for all people being equal and everyone having the same break as far as God is concerned, maybe I want to be part of that. You might confess your belief in Jesus, the Son of God, who died for everybody. You might be willing to change your life, even if it is from prejudice or anything else, and live like the Lord would have you to live. Be what the Lord would have you to be. You might be baptized this morning for forgiveness of your sins and to be able to live your life following the lead of this great Savior that we have. If you're here this morning and you need to come for any reason, please come.